Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Global Math Department. My name is Jill Bemis, and I will be your host tonight. Tonight, we are going to hear from Megan Doobie about the quiet person in our room, meeting the needs of the introverts in the collaborative classroom. Would everyone please introduce themselves in the chat window, telling us what you teach, where you teach, and what your twi Twitter handle is, if you have one. Before I introduce the speaker, please let me explain how these meetings work. They are being recorded and will be available within 24 hours after the meeting ends. To view the recording, you will use the same URL you used to get here tonight. The global math community prides itself on being friendly and supportive. The chat room is available for topical and general conversation throughout the meeting. I will do my best to try and catch all of your questions for Megan, so don't worry if the presenter doesn't respond right away to your question. Um, I see a lot of people introducing themselves. That's great. Let's go over and meet our speaker. Tonight, our speaker is Megan Doobie. She is a high school math and theology teacher at the Academy of the Holy Names in Tampa, Florida. After more than 10 years in the classroom, she has transformed the student experience of learning from one passivity to active engagement in complex problem solving. In the midst of this transition, she recognized how her own introversion would have left her uncomfortable with this classroom dynamic. Since reading Quiet by Susan Cain, she has worked to utilize a multitude of strategies for engaging introverts in the active classroom and shares them eagerly with a wide variety of educators. Join me in welcoming Megan Debbie. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. This is a different experience for me though. I wanna start by giving you a little insight about how this came to be. I teach at Academy of the Holy Names in Tampa, Florida. We are, we're really two schools under one roof. We are pre-K through 12 and we are all girls in the high school. So we are co-ed K through eight and then all girls in our high school. Last year, during the time of our parent conferences, one of my colleagues who has a daughter in our middle school came upstairs and burst into our office and said, it doesn't help me when you tell me that my daughter is quiet. She had had this, a conference with every single one of her daughter's teachers and every single one offered just, she's quiet, she's quiet, she's quiet, she's so quiet. And she said, that doesn't help me know what she understands about math, that doesn't understand help me know what she understands about English, that doesn't help me know what she needs to work on, doesn't help me to know that she's quiet. She's my daughter, I know she's quiet. And I started thinking more about that and I started thinking of how many times I had said that very same thing to a parent. And some, from someone in this community, actually, I had learned about the book, Quiet, by Susan Cain. And I actually think I owned it, but had never read it before. So in reading this book and going through it, I started thinking about how that related to my own classroom. I, this is my 12th year of teaching. And in the beginning, my classes looked much like the class I had been educated in. My desks were in rows. We took out our books. They sat on our desks. We didn't talk to anyone. I stood at the front. I wrote things on the board. The kids copied it down. And we called that class. But um, in the past probably five years or so, our classrooms in our entire school really have changed, but mine has changed significantly, more so than I could ever really describe to anyone, in that this is what my classroom currently looks like. So it has furniture that is all on wheels, everything moves. It has five whiteboards around the room. Each one comes with a projector. I will say that my students have access to a lot of technology, so they're able to use all of these things. But it looks very, very, very different from the rows and the hardcover textbooks and the teacher standing at the front of the room that I was used to as a student and that I really became used to when I first started teaching. And Susan Cain talks about this, these ideas in her book where she said talks about the transition from classrooms to really collaborative workspaces. And even as a teacher, um, I've experienced the collaborative workspace in that we moved to offices at my school 
about seven years ago, I think. So instead of just having a classroom that's my own little home, I have a room where I teach that I share with some other people. And then our math department has seven teachers and we all share one space together. So we've also had to learn to be collaborative and what it really looks like to need your space, to need your quiet, how to manage different personalities in this shared space. So some of the insight Susan Cain offers um, is that collaborative classrooms train kids to express themselves in the team culture. That really we're building team skills, not just the individual skills in the discipline that we teach. And that this shift is a shift from I work to we work, which I think we would all acknowledge when we talk about collaborative learning. But she also says, and this is where it kind of stuck out to me, is that in the team model, respect is often based on verbal ability, not on originality or insight. That it's not necessarily about what you contribute to the group, but about the perception of how you contribute it. And that to me is really significant when it comes to those kids of ours who are more reluctant to share, who are quieter to share, who are just a little bit more apprehensive in general because of their personality type. And she offers two suggestions really for introverts in that we need to be able to offer diverse workspaces, that it's great to have a collaborative space, but that there also needs to be a place of retreat, a place for quiet, and particularly to engage in deliberate practice. One of the things she notes is that it is through deliberate practice that we find increased outcomes in learning and productivity of all types. So as I looked at my own classroom and I thought about this movable furniture, this constantly working with other people, the inability to just sit there silently and record what someone else was telling me, I realized that I would have hated my own classroom as a student. I would have been terrified, I would have been super anxious, and I honestly, I couldn't believe that I had kind of developed it as an adult based on the fact that I would have been so just terrified of such a structure as a student. And so I really had to start thinking about my own introversion, what that looked like and how it had affected me. Why does speaking up feel unnatural? And just quickly, if you want to throw it in the chat box, does anyone want to share like introvert, extrovert? I don't want to throw a poll up, but are we are we more introverts? Are we more extroverts? Who's what's the crowd like? Can we see? <laughs> I'm guessing it's gonna be introverts, but we'll see. I see a couple. extrovert. <laughs> right, cool. So why does speaking up feel unnatural, especially if you are someone who is an introvert? And I just made a list of six things that applied to me why I was reluctant um, to speak up in an academic situation, in a social setting, whatever the case may be. And so the first one is and I think this pertains to a lot of our students, that you don't want to be wrong. Um, I know so many of my students, and we do almost everything on whiteboards, and they'll say, but I, what am I gonna do? I, I don't wanna write it down, what if I'm wrong? I said, if you're wrong, we'll just erase it. It's a whiteboard. The world's not gonna end, we'll just erase it. But I know that that in my for my own voice, I didn't want to be wrong. Um, thing number two is that I didn't wanna say something that was meaningless. Uh, number three, that you're too busy listening in order to, before rather than speaking. Number four is that you don't have enough time to think before speaking. Five is social anxiety and six is perfectionism. A lot of those go together. But just in realizing the stress that my own classroom would have caused me, I did some reflection about my own social skills, my own just personality in an academic setting. So if you're interested in the book Quiet by Susan Cain, it is long. I absolutely recommend it. I learned about it from someone in this community, I think. I couldn't tell you who. 
But I particularly would recommend chapter four. Chapter four is where she talks primarily about the neuroscience behind introversion and a little bit about extroversion. And she talks about the work of Jerome Kagan, who is a developmental psychologist at Harvard, who conducted longitudinal studies about highly reactive versus low reactive infants. So he actually studied these infants from the time of their infancy through the time of their teenage years and found a lot of really interesting things about how personality type or temperament correlates to being highly reactive or low reactive. So his research centered on the amygdala and the limbic system, talking about it as the emotional switchboard that function is to detract, detect threats in our lives. And that he found that the more reactive, the highly reactive infants had a higher heart rate, more dilated eyes, tighter vocal cords, and higher cortisol levels, meaning higher levels of stress. The low reactive infants were more relaxed, more confident, and unmoved by novel situations. So that was really kind of where his research went, is that highly reactive people are sensitive to novelty, not necessarily to people. It's not about the personal interaction, but about the novelty of the situation. And found that highly reactive infants comprise about 20% of infants. Their, the sensitivity of their nervous system makes them sensitive to noticing in general. It's that they actually perceive and pick up on more details, more of what's going on around them than the low reactive infants. They show more eye movement when making a choice, looking literally between the two options. They process ideas more deeply. They choose more accurately. They are more likely to think and feel deeply in a more nuanced way. They are vulnerable to challenge. They spend more time in their own heads. They work to protect themselves from the unexpected. This one I thought was really interesting. They are more resistant to illness, except if they come from an unstable home. And if they come from an unstable home, then these highly reactive infants, children, eventually teenagers, become more susceptible. Repetition diminishes their fear. So as long as they can kind of predict what's going to happen, that helps the fear subside. But they did some research where they severed the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala and found that despite repetition, stress will make fear return. So if you can restress this, if you can add stress to the situation, the entire effect of the repetition disappears. They tend to be more inhibited, which I think about as the opposite of impulsivity. And they're more likely to choose, if you allow them to choose what volume they wanted to listen to music at, they choose a volume about 20 decibels lower than low reactive infants, children, teenagers. And that if you choose a volume for them, they perform worse when the volume is higher, so long as it's they don't self-select. So that's just some of the neuroscience that they talk about. Um, Jerome Kagan talks about uh, in terms of highly reactive infants and that these highly reactive infants are the ones who develop into introverts as children, teenagers, and adults. Because It's not necessarily the shyness that we think about. It's not an aversion to people or however we might describe introversion. It's really a sensitivity to novel situations and to just noticing the multitude of events taking place around you. So you're really kind of just overwhelmed or more reactive to it. Some other traits of introverts is that they have a smaller response to dopamine, highly reactive, sensitive nervous systems, but they are also more persistent, more tenacious, more clear-sighted. They are freer from temptation. They communicate well in writing. They're also able to communicate well in highly produced lectures. So maybe in a format where it's recorded and edited. They often look for allies to help them communicate. Um, and in what we call this extrovert preference in our world, introverts often try so hard to look busy or to look extroverted 
that their actual gifts are overlooked. And so one of Susan Cain's biggest pieces of advice is to honor your own style and to do things in your own way, not to try to be an extrovert. So here's some reflection questions to think about. How do you as a teacher view, encourage, or grade participation for whatever that means? A quiet student can be just as engaged as a verbally responsive student. How do we know the difference as teachers? And do our awards in school go to the outgoing and participative students rather than the introverts because we tend to notice these students more? I'll wait for a second, see if there's any questions or comments on that. Any thoughts? <laughs> and one of the quotes she talks about in the book in terms of how we view participation is that an extrovert will talk about it as class participation. We you know, expect you to do some such and such thing in class. Whereas an introvert often will refer to it as something like talking nonsense. That as long as you just spew words out, it doesn't necessarily matter what you've said. It looks like you're participating and which one of those really is more significant, which one really matters. Do either of them actually contribute to real learning? Any other? you don't speak enough. So one of my favorite quotes from this book is, people who don't talk are seen as weak or lacking. And I know that I've been guilty of that as a teacher saying, she never says anything. She doesn't talk. How am I supposed to know? And reading this book and really putting together this presentation is what made me consider how are there other ways that I can communicate with students? How can I let their voice be heard? Even if it isn't actually their physical voice that's being heard, are there other ways that we can communicate and let their voice be heard? So last year in my school, we moved in our Algebra 1 and Algebra 2 courses to use the CPM curriculum, which when I had the picture of my classroom, you saw that we had, we have tables. There are five girls to a table. And the expectation is to work through the problems as a small group, maybe with a partner sometimes, but generally with a small group to discuss it, to kind of fight it out with your team and then come together as a whole class. And that was really, really hard for my introverted students. They wanted to work alone. They wanted to go sit in the corner by themselves sometimes. They didn't necessarily feel comfortable in this format. So I actually reached out to them at the end of last year and just, and I reached out to them by email because as an introvert, I like email. I figured they would appreciate the written communication. And I said to them, you know, I'm really concerned about how you felt in this classroom. I would like to hear what worked for you and what things I could have done better to meet your personality needs. And we had some really good dialogue about it. And so they contributed somewhat to this list of strategies that I have um, next, but mostly they said things like being able to only talk to one person in their team rather than having to feel like they needed to share with the entire team as a whole really worked for them and really helped them. Yeah, I like this, Cindy. It's easier to reward the outgoing and the verbal. They help keep the classroom conversation going. That is so true, <laughs> so true. So how do we look at these things as teachers? How what, what message are we sending to our students in terms of what we value? So I have this list, there's just 11 strategies for what things that work. Um, some of these are gonna contradict each other, which I find really interesting. But I think it's just an important reminder that not everything works for every single person. So the first one is that introverts are more likely to contribute halfway through class after other people have spoken. So 
one reason why that works is it gives them a chance to get their thoughts together. It gives them an opportunity to figure out exactly what they want to say, how they want to phrase it. I know that in my own introversion, and to be honest, I didn't realize this until I read the book. I didn't know that not everyone has this inner dialogue that I have in my head where I'm practicing what I want to say out loud before I say it in a small group setting. But allowing introverts to speak a little bit later in class um, gives them time to formulate their thoughts and figure out exactly how they want to contribute. One of the recommendations is really to tell a kid, you know, I'm going to call on you fourth so that they know, okay, I'll be ready once she gets through three people. You kind of give them some preparation. That goes back also to the difficulty with novel situations. If they know what to expect, it relieves a little bit of that anxiety. All right, next. Um, number two is to recognize that there's anxiety about raising your hand. And I think this happens a lot in my own classroom. And for what it's worth, I teach algebra two. I also teach BC calculus. And I also teach four religion classes. I'm kind of transitioning to being more full-time religion. And next year, I'm just going to teach the one calculus class. So life is changing. But what I like about this research and really the topic is that it's not just for math. It absolutely works in a math class. And I think it's important the more we move towards collaborative mathematics, but it works across disciplines. And so often I'll have girls raise their ha hands, but someone, you know, I choose someone else to speak first. And then that girl never raises her hand again. And I, we need to, it's so hard to do, but to remind ourselves to go back to those kids because if you don't get called on the first time and you're an introvert, you might not raise your hand a second time. Like sometimes it takes all the courage you have to put your hand up the first time. And if it's not you, you're like, okay, done. I tried. It's over. Um, and so there, there can be so much anxiety just in getting your hand up the first time that if we recognize that as teachers and we can, you know, call out that kid and say, Oh, you know, Sally, did you, did you have your hand up? Is there something you wanted to add? so that they feel really invited and welcome to share rather than just dismissing it as I tried, but now it's over and I'm not doing it again. <laughs> yeah, never raising hand again, ever again is huge. It, yeah. All right. So just as a different mentality between how introverts and how think and how extroverts think, Extroverts generally talk just to talk, whereas introverts talk because they have something to say. Um, and that when an introverted person raises their hand, they have something worthwhile to say. A lot of times it's something that has been, you know, well thought out over the course of this think time or really rehearsed in their head. They have something that they feel is valuable and important to contribute to the conversation. Otherwise, they wouldn't raise their hand. Um, I just, I'm looking at this about trying to respect introverts need for think time. I like the idea of using pairs instead of groups. So I'm just going to speak to that really fast that I, something that I've really kind of moved towards in class and it maybe sounds like it takes a lot of time and it kind of does, but it allows you to cater to the different needs of different personality types and different temperaments is to pose a question, give the individual think time, allow sharing literally just with maybe the person next to you, um, and then maybe sharing as four or a team or a table or however your room is structured, and then sharing as an entire class. So it takes a little bit more time to do it that way, but I found from my conversations with my introverts last year that they are probably not going to be comfortable in sharing necessarily with their team or with the whole class. They're almost never going to raise their hand to share with the whole class, but they are absolutely comfortable sharing with the person next to them and allowing that person to share their thought with the entire class. So that was something I found really interesting that they would like someone to share their thoughts. They just don't want it to be them. All right. And the next one goes right along with that, giving an extended wait time. And just, you know, we're all busy. We all have so much going on, so much to say that a lot of times I think we sacrifice that wait time. And 
we don't give any of our kids probably enough time to process it, whether they're introverted or extroverted. I had a conversation with some of my juniors at lunch today, um, just about different structures in class and the way things were going. And one of the comments they made to me was, it's so nice that we just have that five minutes to be quiet and process what's going on. And they were talking particularly about a theology class, but I think the same thing can be true in math to just say, take two minutes and just think about what you've heard. Think about what question you have. Think about how you might describe this to someone, whatever your prompt really is to give them that extended wait time and kind of make them make them think through the process, regardless of whether they're introverted or extroverted. I think it's someone, everyone has something to benefit from that. Along the same line, someone mentioned, a couple mentions I saw of think, pair, share. The same idea, give the extended wait time, allow for quiet discussion with a partner, let the partner um, either share it with the table or share it with the whole class but not necessarily force your introverts to share their ideas with the whole class. Um, here's one that specifically contradicts number one, that a lot of times introverts are would rather be prepared to contribute at the beginning of class and avoid the unknown of what's gonna happen later on. I don't know if this will resonate with anyone else, but so often when I'm in a conversation, whether it's social or work or whatever the case may be, I, you know, rehearse in my head exactly what I want to say. And then so often before I get a chance to say it, the conversation shifts. And all of that time I spent practicing the thing that I wanted to say is a waste because that's no longer where the conversation is. And I have to start practicing something totally different, totally new um, to follow the trend of the conversation. So if we know students want to contribute, they have something to contribute that they find valuable. Uh, if we allow them that opportunity at the beginning, um, they'll know they'll, they know that they will get the chance before the conversation shifts, before whatever happens in class um, goes into the unknown um, and they don't have to then waste that time, you know, trying to figure out what to process to do again next just stop yeah something that it has been really valuable in my school i'm not sure if this is available in everyone's schools but something that i've done really routinely probably for the past year or two is to follow up with students via email you know, they might not be comfortable in class it might just be a crazy day and they run out the door and you you know kind of forget what's going on but to follow up either that afternoon or that evening and just say, hey, you know, I noticed that whatever happened in class today, did you still have a question? Or, you know, you shared that insight with us and I was really impressed by that. I would love to hear more from you. What else do you have to say? Um, but just to let them know that you appreciate their voice or that you would like to hear more of their voice, even if that happens just through email. Um, the next one is to find the right role for each student. We use um, the CPM curriculum in my Algebra 2 class, and CPM actually outlines five roles for how students are to function in their groups. There is, let's see if I can do it, there's the facilitator, there's the resource manager, there's the reporter, there's the recorder, there's another one. I can't think of what the other one is, but there's another one. So each student has a particular role in their group. It may not be the right fit for your introvert to be the facilitator. That might not be something that they're comfortable doing. It might not be a role that they do well. Does that mean they should never do it? No, I don't think so. How are you ever going to learn these skills if you don't ever get the opportunity to practice them? But we need to find the right role at the right time, give students a chance to practice things that they're uncomfortable with, but probably not throw them into it every single day. Number nine is, number nine is hard. Don't accept silence. I think we, especially when we start talking about the anxiety and the stress and the tension and just 
kind of all the emotion that this idea of uh, introversion in the classroom can bring up, we're tempted to say, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I can't believe I put you through that. What was I thinking? Why, why did I ever want to do that to you? I'm just going to let you have your space. And that's not the right approach either. Students need to participate in some way. Um, and silence is not going to be an option. How will we know what they understand and what they don't understand if we never hear their voice? So don't accept silence, but allow them to find the right way to participate. Susan Cain tells a story in Quiet about a girl who comes home from school and her mother has signed her up for, I don't know if it's ballet and softball and piano class and who knows what else, but a ton, a ton of things. And the daughter says to her mom, I can't. I need you to know that school is hard for me. I'm so overwhelmed by being around people all day long that when I come home, I just want to be alone. I need to sit in quiet for 10 minutes, a half an hour, an hour, whatever it is. But I'm so overstimulated by what happens at school. I need a break from that. I can't just jump into another activity, another sport, another practice, whatever it is. I need a break from all the people. And so often that break doesn't come for our kids. They want to be involved in all of the things. And so they jump from one to the next, which just causes exhaustion. All right. I have one more thing on the list. And then I see there's some conversation about Harkness and some other things over in the chat. So the last one is the use of journals and written communication. There are so many different ways to utilize this. We have been using learning logs through CPM this year, I guess last year as well. Um, and just allowing the girls to jot down in, you know, three minutes of an open write at the end. What did you learn today? What is your big takeaway? What question do you still have? And asking them, for that kind of feedback so that even if it's not something they're willing to offer out loud, it is something that you are still getting from them. You are still allowing them to participate, still finding a way to make their voice heard, even in a different format. I think that same thing is true. I saw somewhere in the chat, someone said something about using technology, particularly using Desmos. My kids love using Desmos. They, will be all over the opportunity to, you know, type in what they think and maybe it's going to get picked to go up through snapshots and get to talk about what specifically they wrote. That's a great way to allow your introverts to participate without necessarily having to do it out loud and verbally. Um, this conversation about Harkness, we use Harkness discussions, not not all the time in math, although not all the time in algebra two, I should probably say. But so often um, in Harkness, you have this idea of someone asking a question in response to a question and really allowing the students to kind of direct the flow of conversation. And one of the things that my students talk about a lot when they talk about Harkness is the importance of asking the question does anyone have anything they wanted to share and haven't had the chance to share? I don't know that as an introvert, I'm always going to raise my hand to share in that case, but at least you are prompting and giving the opportunity rather than just moving on without ever really asking for the feedback or for the questions or for whatever we might be missing from our introverts when we don't hear from our introverts, we're really missing a lot of perspective because their brains work in a totally different way than extroverts. And they like the process time, they need the process time. They think about problems more deeply, more nuanced. And if we're not hearing that, then we're not hearing the whole conversation. I'm gonna pause for a second and see what questions we might have. 
Any questions? Um, lots of good ideas. Absolutely. One of um, the other resources I would love to share with you is that Susan Cain did write this book, Quiet, but she has a companion book that's really more of a student book or kind of a, a how-to book for the quiet kid. But what do you put in your writing journals? Okay, hold on a second. Um, and so her book for the quiet kid is, is probably not even geared towards teenagers, probably more geared towards middle schoolers. And it just lets them kind of see that they're not alone in feeling this way, that other people experience the same anxiety, tension, stress, whatever, when it comes to personality and communication. But she gives them resources and really almost like role play scenarios for how to navigate through that in all different life circumstances, whether it's in a classroom or on a sports team or not getting a job, but that would also be something that, that would apply that she gives them tips and tricks kind of to get through the life we live in the extroverted world um, as an introvert. So Cindy, I see your question about what to put in the writing journals. There are some particular prompts that come through the CPM curriculum. And a lot of times we will use those prompts, but things that I'll use all the time is just to say, you have three minutes, put a timer up on the board and ask them to write down every single thing they remember from the day, some sort of retrieval practice, um, or ask them to write down anything they found important from the day. Just any sort of recall like that would be helpful. Another question that I love to ask them is, and it came from someone here, I don't know who, sorry, um, is I used to think dot, 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 but now I think so that they can actually see where their own thinking has changed throughout the course of class. Um, anything, anything open-ended, honestly, I love to just give them that three minutes to say, tell me everything you know about this. And then I think the important kind of wrap up piece to that is not to just let it go and be done, but say, once your three minutes are up, who has something they would like to share and let them, maybe it's your extroverts, rattle off the things that they put on their list, which helps everyone in your room know, hey, I had those same sort of things on my list or, oh, you know, that was a really good idea. I didn't write that one down. Um, but it, it gives them just kind of a sense for where they are in the whole process. And they don't necessarily have to say anything out loud. Um, Laura, I, what is the name of the other Susan Cain book? I have to Google. I don't have it with me. Um, it's It might even be like Quiet Kid or something like that. It's very similar. And it's it really is like a companion for, it has much less neuroscience, much less biology, um, and really strategically written for the middle schooler, maybe high schooler. Do I have a rubric table visual to help better engage what and I better understand what engagement and participation looks like and how to grade participation. I don't have a rubric. I do have an app that I love to use. Let me find the name of it for you. It's on my iPad. Um, there's actually an app that allows you to track. It allows you to track conversation. So that makes it a little bit harder. If it's not um, just conversation that you want to be tracking. If you're really trying to see, um, kind of trying to give kids another avenue for participation other than conversation. But I use an app called Equity Maps when we do something. Yes, Quiet Power. That's it. That's it. Oh, that's it. Um, Equity Maps allows you to track conversation. It allows you actually to record the conversation if that's something you're interested in. You can map how the conversation jumps from person to person. And it's something that I would use in maybe like a Harkness discussion or something of that nature. When we have open-ended discussions in my theology class, that's that's kind of what we use to track just to see who participates and who doesn't. But again, it doesn't necessarily capture 
the introverted side of things. Um, do I include notes or is this more of a reflective practice? Cindy, I think you mean in terms of the writing in your notebook. Um, I would say it's 90% reflective practice, although it certainly does include notes. Um, oh, Dean, you're right. It is introverted kids. That's the one. Um, but it is called quiet power. It is definitely, I'm sorry, Cindy, I'm going back to you. Um, it is definitely more of a reflective practice. I encourage that one of my students told me in December that she said, you know, I just think it would have been better, a better use of my time to, to do a practice problem or two than to spend those three minutes doing this reflective writing. And I said, okay, well, the research that I've read disagrees with you, but if that's really important to you, why don't you come up with a problem or, you know, find a problem in your book that you could do in that time that you could put in those, um, that journal and let that be a place for you to do your reflection, particularly about that problem rather than just about a free open right. Were there other thoughts or questions? Um, anything that resonates particularly with anyone who's an introvert? I will say again, I had no idea. I guess I had no idea that other people didn't feel this way. I, I don't know what the extrovert perspective on life is because I've never been an extrovert and I don't know that I'll ever be one. So it's really interesting to me to know, to think about the fact that there are people who don't need the same kind of wait time, who are really frustrated by the quiet, who, who don't like it, who feel the need to fill that silence rather than let it happen. Um, do I strategically rein in extroverts so there is more room for introverts to contribute? Sometimes, yes. I think that's a tricky, a tricky business. Um, so often, you know, you have those students in your classroom who they want to answer every single question. They they always know and they always want to tell you that they know. And that's that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. However, so often it comes at the expense of others. And, you know, we need to find a way to rein in, as you say, um, those students so that our ex introverts really have a chance for their their think time. And what I've found, in, particularly in the past year or two, as I've, as I've been learning more about introversion, um, and also as I've been learning more about just brain-based learning in general, is that if kids are interested, like if you can explain to them the way their brain works and the way they think, and what they need to help them learn effectively, they're generally receptive and they will almost always try whatever you recommend just to see if it works. They, they're not into wasting their time. Why would they continue to do something ineffective um, if it's not getting them the grade they want or the, the learning they want, whatever it is. And I think the same is true in terms of temperament. If we can explain to our extroverts that there are people in our rooms who really need that time in order to learn, well then is it, isn't what we want to help everyone in our room learn their best. And so if we can really share that, um, that research and those strategies with our kids, I think they want what's best for their peers and they understand that when we have the conversation. But I think it's important to have the conversation because we only know what happens in our own minds and we can't understand the perspective of other people, especially when it comes to personality type. So if no one ever tells us that some people really need this time, how, how would you know? Um, all right, I'm trying to see a couple more things here. Are there more introverts who are girls than boys? I cannot speak to that because I only teach girls. Um, I, this is my 10th year of teaching just girls. So I don't know. Um, they, he didn't, or Susan Cain and Jerome Kagan don't talk about the difference between boys and girls. Um, but I know I, the 20% factor for highly reactive um, infants who become introverted teenagers is probably fairly accurate given my classroom. Um, I don't know that it would be true for everyone else, but I would say it's about 20% of my 
girls who are really, really introverted and, you know, feel this sort of difficulty when contributing in the classroom. Um, extrovert boys, look at them thinking. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to read through these comments. I'm not seeing any questions, Megan, that you haven't okay. covered. You know, um, really good. I The thing that I think is really interesting when we talk about all of these ideas for introverts uh, is that for so long, our our classrooms really have been catering to extroverts, but at the same time, I don't want to swing the pendulum in the other way and say, let's do all of these things for our introverts and forget about the needs of extroverts. We have to find a balance and a way of meeting the needs of both. And I think number one, that explaining that we have different needs as different people for different personality types, different temperaments, whatever the case may be, um, explaining that we have different needs helps every helps all of our students understand why we're doing what we're doing in our classroom. And even though something might not be the perfect fit for them, it is the perfect fit for someone else. And so just like we have strategies to reach our extroverts, we need strategies to reach our introverts and vice versa. Um, does anyone have an alternative to hand raising for question answering? I will say I do not like just calling on kids as an introvert, that made me super uncomfortable um, to the point that I might even shut down in class. I don't think that I'm alone in feeling that way. I know there was a discussion on Twitter, maybe in November, it was Joe Bowler talking about those, I don't know what you actually call them, but the stick, like the popsicle sticks that people have in jars and how that sort of cold calling system affects different personality types and the anxiety that it can produce in students who, you know, just kind of tremble at their name being on the stick that gets called. And if we're creating a classroom situation where all we have victim sticks, that's probably accurate for how introverts feel. Um, that if we're creating a classroom environment where kids are feeling anxious about whether you're going to call on them and what they're going to say, and they have to spend all of this time freaking out about what might happen, are they really learning the math content that we want them to learn? And I'm, I'm going to say the answer is no, because they're not, they're not capable. They're, they haven't had their, their lower needs met um, in order to engage in the higher needs. Um, small group instruction, yes, agree. Model that you want questions answered by raising your hand yourself. True, I think that works. Um, someone said something, polling apps. I do like the idea of whether, I don't even, um, whether it's Kahoot or Quizlet or Quizzes or any of the things that are out there um, today, I do think those are also good options to get your introverts participating or maybe to gauge their understanding as a formative assessment because they're not required necessarily to raise their hand and put their idea out there, but you can kind of check it in a quiet way. Yeah, I agree, Laura, that um, so often your introverts are going to freak out when, when the kids have their hands in the air and you're giving them the wait time. I don't know that they can really take the wait time because they know someone else has the answer and I don't know it. Um, so I agree. I think if you're going to let kids raise their hands, we almost need to say, you know what, I'm going to give you two minutes to think. I don't want you to do anything after two minutes. If you have something to say, then I'll tell you when to raise your hand um, and give them that sort of prompting that might be a better way to handle the situation. I am familiar with Pear Deck and, but I've never actually used it. So thank you for that suggestion. I don't know too much about it, but the idea that everyone answers at the same time, I can see that being helpful. Um, and Matt, you kind of echoed what I said, giving think time before your hands go up. I think that would absolutely help just as a way to um, to kind of reduce what, what's happening in the mind of an introvert because, because of the sensitivity to novel situations, because of the enhanced awareness to everything that's going on around them. 
if they're distracted by someone raising their hand or knowing that their neighbor already has the answer or whatever the case may be, that kid is not doing the thinking and the problem solving that we want them to do. And so at the end of the day, they're not getting the, they're not getting the instruction we want them to have and they're not doing the learning that we want them really to do. Um, possibly have some questions with multiple correct answers, but they're only one or two words. Yeah, that's a good idea too. I like that one. Um, any other thoughts or questions? Those are most of my ideas. I, yeah, I think if everybody's kind of questioned out here, we want to thank Megan for sharing her wonderful ideas tonight. Um, we'll stick around for a few more minutes. So if you have questions, still please post them to the chat and Megan will answer them. Otherwise, again, thanks for coming. Next week, our presenter will be um, Francis Sue, who is the past president of the Mathematical Association of America. And they will be presenting on building human themes into your teaching of math. So please join us next Tuesday night for our wonderful webinar. Again, thank you, Megan, for so much information tonight. Um, we'll hang around for a few more minutes and then we will sign off. Thank you. <laughs> Everybody's little suggestions are so fun to read. I know I like students who are quiet in class and not <laughs> quiet outside of class. And I think like, is that because they're really not interested in math or because they're really not comfortable for some other reason with the dynamic? I, I think you probably, the latter there. Yeah, I think it's a, a question worth asking yourself or addressing somehow. Yeah, very much so. It does really make you start thinking about your own um, your own pers 